0: Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know of something that we just recently announced that we are so excited about at ABT and our virtual hitting academy is getting a facelift in 2022. So, so excited for this. We are adding monthly guest speakers that are going to come in and coach you. You're going to have exclusive access to one-on-one coaching with me, where we can talk about hitting our mental game, a hundred plus hours of videos of hitting drills, mental skills coaching, workouts, and more. Free hitting journal, some gear, and so 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 much more. That is just scratching the surface with this virtual hitting academy. We are so excited! Enrollment begins January first, but if you join the waitlist now, you will get early access and freebies by joining the waitlist. So joining the waitlist is free. So just head over to www.ashleybtraining.com to get access to all the freebies, all of the things that we're giving you inside the ABT waitlist. We are so, so, so excited to launch this on January 1st. And if you're just interested at all, you're going to want to join that waitlist. So head to www.ashleybtraining.com. You will be shown where you can sign up for the waitlist and get ready because things are about to get exciting. All right, let's head to this episode. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes, and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players. Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast, sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep and I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here and I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So out your notebook, and let's head to the next episode. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle, and here is part two with Jordan Taylor. I had an absolute blast interviewing her. You probably saw last week that I had so many questions for her, and this conversation went on for a long time, which is why we split it up into two parts. Last week, we talked about a lot of tips on how to throw specific pitches, like the curveball, the changeup, the screwball. The rise ball, the importance of making sure you have your fastball down before you go into those pitches. She talked about tips for tryouts, how to be able to be confident going into tryouts because she bounced from team to team a lot growing up and that was her strategy. She she developed confidence, She obviously because she did it so many different times, but she ended up being so good strictly because of her confidence and she dives into that as well. This week in part two, we are going to dive even more into that confidence, how she develops confidence throwing specific pitches to certain hitters, how she is able to make adjustments pitch to pitch and from hitter to hitter, what hitters and their body language says about them, and we are going to talk about tunneling and what she thinks about it, what's her take on it. I had no idea what that term was until we talked about it. I learned so much from Jordan in part one. You're about to learn so much more along with me in part two. I can't wait for you to get your ears on it. So here is part two with Jordan Taylor. Yeah. And okay. So I know I told you we were coming on here to talk about pitch calling. We haven't talked about it yet, but I think confidence has a lot to do with pitch calling. Like, which pitch that. are you going to throw? So, I mean, where can we start with this? I think just – I know you mentioned how, as a pitcher, you're trying to, like, trick the brain of a hitter. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that approach on the mound a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um. Well, my number one hobby in life is making fools of batters just because it's so much fun. <laughs> um. But it's – so it's all it's all from baseball stuff of – just the closer the ball gets to your face, the faster it's going to appear. So a pitch that's, say, 100 miles per hour, just because we're doing baseball, it's going to look way faster at your face than it is on the outside corner, even though they're the same speed. And so following that kind of logic, it's just playing with perceptions of batters. It's playing with their eye levels. So if as a pitcher, we're staying at the same eye level the whole game, you're not fooling anybody, you're not tricking anybody. You're gonna gonna have very comfortable batters in the box and pitchers should be able to recognize, and it blows my mind when they can't, should be able to recognize a comfortable batter versus an uncomfortable batter. If you're seeing them just not even flinch at pitches, they are very balanced, they're fouling pitches straight back, they're very, very comfortable. They know exactly what they're looking for. They're not worried about anything else that you're throwing. An uncomfortable batter is going to be shifting a lot. They're going to be kind of, you know, moving around in the box. They're going to be like swinging at pitches that probably shouldn't be or visibly frustrated. And so pitchers should be able to recognize kind of those signs. And it should be a pitcher's job to make the batter uncomfortable. So making sure that we're going inside and outside, up and down, showing kind of the, all the zones, and just mm-hmm. making them kind of shift around and not be able to, because a, a good batter is going to have their feet set, is going to be kind of in their legs and ready to hit. But if you can take them out of their legs, that's when the pitcher's won.
0: Mm. Mm. I'm trying to think of all the times I was very uncomfortable on the box and was totally exposed. <laughs> um. But I'm also loving this because once I got better at hitting, like l- later into my college career, I kind of felt the same way from the batter's perspective. Like mm-hmm. I want to try to make this pitcher feel uncomfortable. And sometimes yeah. my approach was, okay, this pitcher has a really good rise ball. I'm going to get on top of her rise ball and hit it, or at least make a really valid, like great attempt to scare her a little bit. Cause like, if that's the yeah. best. I want to make her nervous. And, you know, as a base runner, of course, my job was to ex- like make the defense freak out when I was on the bag. So I love how we're kind of like going at it from like, how can I make someone look silly approach? Yeah. Because it's kind of like that itself, that concept is a confidence booster in my opinion, like oh, trying sure. to take the level up, make them look silly. Now, good hitters, good pitchers, they're resilient. They're not going to allow it to last more than like two or three pitches, but. um I do like that aspect that there's a lot of confidence when it comes down to like how can I make this person look silly? Um yeah. and sometimes you're gonna get beat, sometimes the plan's gonna work.
1: But oh, yeah, it is just like a cat and mouse game. And like
0: those yeah. are
1: those are always like my best moments is like facing the best hitter and like trying to figure out which Japanese hitters are a little different than American hitters and like NPF, like you kind of always had those like epic battles with people. Like Mm -hmm. there was those like select few where you're like, I don't know what to throw. You're like, leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Go away. Um, But it's just so much fun, like trying to outsmart the hitter. And like when they like just get a hold of something or like when they just fouled off, like kind of your best pitch and like knowing that you had to throw another one. And Mm -hmm. those are always the most, like my most memorable and like most fun moments were just like this, like little game, game within a game type of stuff. And just trying to outsmart the hitter.
0: Yeah. So you don't have to drop names of like who those hitters were that made you uncomfortable, but like, (laughs) just it's probably like the ones who get the hype because, you know, like the Lauren Chamberlain, the one who's like drop, coming out of college, dropping bombs, like crazy. Or yeah. like, what, what do you do in that situation? Cause I know every pitcher has, you know, some batters where they're just like, Oh, her again, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah.
0: what do you do in that situation?
1: I had a, I had a couple throughout NPF. Luckily I didn't have to face, uh, Lauren Chamberlain. Lauren. Too much. The one I do remember was fun against her, but like people like Brittany Cervantes, we've been facing each other since we were 14. So it's like, her and um, Daniel Zimkowitz, like, I had nothing else for them. (laughs) I (laughs) don't have any more tricks. Like, like, sometimes I was like, maybe I'll just throw it down the middle just because I haven't seen it yet. Like, let's, let's try it there. Surprise them. Uh, Yeah, just like kind of going through and just, yeah, just trying to be something different than you were before. And memory is a huge thing in remembering kind of what you threw them and what they hit. Um, my favorite person ever to talk pitch calling with was Chelsea Thomas. She went to Mizzou mm. she went Pride for a few seasons. She worked differently than anyone I've ever met before because she would go to a batter and she knew exactly what pitch she wanted to get them out on. Mm-hmm. And then she would work backwards from there. Ooh. And so which I couldn't wrap my head around because I'm like, well, what if they hit the first pitch? Then what? <laughs> you just start over again. Like what happens? Like how do you keep your confidence if you're like, well, that plan went to run down under. So yeah, she, she was a brilliant cause she only had, she had rise, drop, change. That was it. But she could put those pitches on a dime wherever she wanted to, she could put them And, um, so she would always be like, well, I know I want to get them out on low and outside, so I'm going to work inside one off the plate, go back inside and then go back to this. I'm like, how do you, (laughs) that's a lot of planning. (laughs) I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through the batter, (laughs) just trying Mm -hmm. to get through. So, but yeah, it's just, I never was very big at, um, planning ahead mostly mm-hmm. as, or like, you know, every once in a while Megan Willis would come up to us and dug out and be like, okay, what do you want to throw this person? And I'm like, it's whatever the situation calls for. Like, I don't know, <laughs> it's a stressful situation. So I was, I was always kind of a plan as I go type of thing, but I was always very um, aware Mostly because Ernie Parker was a very, very good teacher at pitch calling and recognizing hitters and where to throw them type of thing of working on the fly and kind of knowing where I wanted to throw the ball as soon as it's called, but not necessarily um, having an action plan before I started, which I Mm -hmm. wish I was like. I feel like it'd be so much less stressful actually having a set plan before going into an inning and knowing exactly what I want to throw a batter. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it was always, obviously the catchers and the NPF are brilliant. I mean, Megan Willis and uh, Chelsea Goodacre were some of the best pitch callers in the game. So you didn't have to think too, too much. Yeah. Mostly I just threw my change up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. That's my plan of attack.
0: <laughs> Buckle the knees. I love that. So you mentioned how Ernie taught you a lot about pitch calling. Can you, are there specific things that you remember from him that you've, you've stuck with, still, still use on your end that he taught you?
1: Um, more about reading batters and kind of their body language. And, you know, if, if you are throwing, just say you're throwing a sequence of pitches outside And they're getting more and more and more and more on time or they're starting to lean and you're starting to see that, then it's time to throw something hard and inside Mm -hmm. Um, and vice versa. If you're seeing them start to lean backwards, you can pipe something on the outside and they're probably not going to see it coming or hit it. But yeah, just more of reading batters and seeing what combination of pitches he just always kind of made me very aware of what combination of pitches were working and why they were working Mm -hmm. Uh, so before I kind of understood the whole concept of pitches close to your face look faster he kind of taught me the whole rise ball change up combination I didn't understand like why it worked but obviously like later learned learned why but always kind of understood that concept of pitch calling of kind of deceiving batters. I just didn't quite understand the whole reaction and all that. So, yeah.
0: So why does the change rise work? Are you willing to share that information with all the listeners?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, rise ball inside is going to be closer to your face. So it's going to look a lot, a lot faster yeah. And then when you're throwing a change up outside, it's going to look a lot, a lot slower. So you're going to, mm-hmm. that combination of stuff is your brain's going to be a little bit shocked from the ball coming fast to your face that it's not going to react in time to that change up.
0: Yeah. And this sounds like this is why Chelsea Thomas is so good at this is because she didn't, she had three pitches. Yeah. But like she had those pitches mastered to where as long as she can consistently put those pitches or she wants to put them. Yeah. She's, she she's was golden like a
1: master, a master of hiding the ball. You did not Magician. know. You did not know which pitch was coming change up to a rise ball to drop. It was all, it was all hidden. She had the same timing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's So good. <laughs> she's good. She's so good. I, I don't, I think I faced her maybe like once or twice in the league, but to me, I think she retired too early, but I mean, everybody has their reasons for retiring. Yeah. Um, but I, she was so good. She was a master at at her craft and knowing what to throw when. Now, you also have talked about how a lot of coaches in your heyday would always say, you don't hide your change up. You don't hide your change up well. Yes. Um, but you're still fooling batters. So yeah. clearly you hide it well. I know there's probably a lot of pitchers right now listening that are like, yeah, like people are starting to pick my change up and they keep yelling from the dugout and it's making me upset. What would you say to that pitcher who needs to to hide it more? What are some if, ways that she can work on that?
1: If they're swinging and missing, who freaking cares? <laughs> <laughs> if you are making people look like ballerinas in the batter's box, who freaking cares? I so I throw So I throw a knuckle and it is, I mean... I learned different ways to grip it. So I grip it actually as I'm coming through my motion. So mm-hmm. as I'm coming past my hip up into my circle, I grip it. But I mean, it still gets, it gets picked all the time. It infamously got picked by the bandits. Um, there's little fights and involves, but anyways. I remember um, this. <laughs> there's a little drama. I remember that. Um, yeah. Lots of people. That's funny. Uh, anyways, um. That whole series, after all that drama, I think one person may have made hard contact. After them screaming sit, one person made hard contact. And I'm pretty sure it was Bernie yeah. so that doesn't count.
0: Of course it was, sir.
1: <laughs> okay. But, like, I think there's
0: something to that as a pitcher. Like, if it's being picked, if it's being yelled about, I think a lot of pitchers would let that get into them, you know, and affect their confidence with the pitch. So clearly you had this confidence that maybe it was just the fire of the situation. You're like, watch me. But like where were you mentally in that situation against the bandits where they were picking it, but it was still yeah. working.
1: Well, I'm um I have the worst poker face of all time. I will not be going to <laughs> base anytime soon. You can read my face from 50 yards away. Um but I mean again they weren't hitting it. So at yeah. some point you have to be like, why am I going to try to change? Why am I going to make an adjustment when, or not throw it? Cause that's what a lot of pitchers do is it gets picked and they stop throwing it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if they're missing it which on the opposite, if they're hitting it, then you have a problem. If right. they're picking it and they're hitting it, then you have a problem. If they are picking it and still swinging and missing, Keep, keep throwing it, man. Just, you know, you get a little, give it a little wink and a, and a wave (laughs) and a a little glare on the side. Maybe some choice words if you're Jordan, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) now I obviously know like maturity comes with probably more confidence because you know yourself better now than you did when you first started playing. But like, how do we get some of this confidence that you have as a pitcher to just like keep making them look stupid. I got this. Like, I feel like obviously everybody deals with confidence in their own way. Um, but what do you think led to you being so just, just have all this swag on the mouth? That's a good
1: question. I am not like, I was the most painfully shy person, um, through high school up and even in college. I, the girls at Michigan still talked my senior year, they were still talking crap about me. (laughs) <laughs> my, about my official visit and how I was just I didn't say one word I just <laughs> sat around, like is this college like can I go home now <laughs> um, so a lot of it was faking it until you made it type of thing but I mean it was a lot of it was confidence through preparation um practiced a lot I mean, I was throwing in my backyard. My mom might think of this, remember these stories a little differently than I did. Probably said I missed one or two, but um, like I remember throwing in my backyard all the time. And like by myself, you know, I had even at Michigan on Sundays, I would go in by myself with the, with Stryco, the old, <laughs> old backdrop with the little squares in between. And, um, and I would do workouts by myself. And a lot of it came from, Like, I know I put the work in, I know I worked my tail off and, you know, like at some point you have to connect your bullpen to the game and just know that what you did in, in practice was enough for the game. Mm -hmm. And just like the drive to just be like, I'm going to beat you. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that that can be taught of just that whole mindset of being kind of like, I'm going to win this battle. Like you're not going to, you're not going to beat me type of thinking. Mm-hmm. It has, it's, I think it's a train, it's a trainable thing, but it's something that you have to actively think and actively buy into just the whole comp like competitive spirit and knowing that you're going to beat the person in the box.
0: Right. Hey, I know you're loving part two with Jordan, but I wanted to pop in here really quick to mention something that maybe you might not know about. I know on here, I always talk about the Always Grind 365 hitting journal, but there's also a pitcher's notebook and there's also coaches' notebooks and there's also catcher's notebooks. There's so many different notebooks and especially if you're a pitcher that's really wanting to track what pitches you through to certain hitters and to really understand yourself more as a pitcher. You can do that in these pitchers' notebooks. So always grind 365. They have notebooks for literally every athlete on the field. And you can use my code AshleyB at checkout for 10% off your next order. Also, feel free to send me an email at academy at gmail.com. I'll put it in the show notes um, for a team order. If you have an entire team order you want to put in and you want your to put your team's logo on it, you can do that. So don't hesitate. If this is something that's up your alley, head to www.alwaysgrind365.com. Again, link will be in the show notes. Use my code AshleyB at checkout for 10% off your next order. It's so good to know and understand yourself as a pitcher, as a hitter, as a defender. And there's no better way to do that than by tracking your progress in a guided notebook like this one. All right, let's head back to this episode with Jordan Taylor. Jordan Taylor. Did you grow up with like, a competitive family? Like, I had two younger siblings. My dad was a collegiate athlete. I've always been embedded with, like, a competitive mindset. But no, not for you.
1: I mean, I th- I, I played a lot of sports growing up. As I say played. I tried a lot of sports growing up. <laughs> we all did, right? I was horrible at all of them. I just found a picture the other day of me trying um, high jump. <laughs> you just see, like, legs. legs. Just, just legs. <laughs> It's like, there's no shot of me getting over this bar. Um, <laughs> just no shot. But yeah, I mean, my mom, my mom was a very, she's, she's a tough gal. She wanted me to be successful. You know, she put me in kind of the best schools growing up. Um, it was always a very like driven kind of environment for sure. But I wouldn't say competitive. I mean, my younger brother played football for like two years before he was, <laughs> My brother is so bad at football and I tell him this all the time. So he's fine. He would literally like he was a center in football. And so he'd snap the ball and then just kind of stand up and do this and not move. And we're like, hey, like you gotta like the ball is over there. And he's like, no, but I did I I did my job. <laughs> But the is still going on. Like he never got the concept that there was something else happening and he needed to join the action. Oh, uh, man, that's yeah, funny. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say a competitive. <laughs> I wouldn't say on
0: that one. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so funny. Well, is there anything pitch calling wise that we haven't dove into yet that you think is important for a young player or even just parents or really coaches
1: yes. um, should know? This new, this new buzzword tunneling. Um, And I think because I ran a poll a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, honestly, on tunneling and what people thought it was, because I kept seeing these videos pop up on Instagram, on like the Explore page of people commenting. They're like, that's great tunneling. And it was just a video of the girl, and I was like, what do people think tunneling is? Because tunneling is, I mean, it's mostly a baseball concept, and it's from baseball, at least of what I think it is, or my my understanding of it, is the release point and a, a baseball pitcher's release point and how you can pick up, because it's enough time from them releasing the ball if it's you know, at whatever, 12 o'clock or one o'clock, that's something that they can see a difference in and pick up on at least really good hitters. Um, softball, there's not enough time coming off that hip. Like it's just, there's not enough time and it's just, it has to be such a vast difference for there to be. And if there's a vast difference that's probably not the reason you're getting a hit anyways, because mm-hmm. it's probably not the best of pitches coming at mm-hmm. you, yeah,, uh, so I ran a poll saying, like, what do you guys think tunneling is? because tunneling to me is two different pitches following the same path to from the pitcher to the plate to the batter. Mm-hmm. And breaking in different directions. That's what tunneling is to me. It's something going. So usually it's like a fastball going straight and then a drop ball. So a drop ball like dropping off the table at the same level, back to right. back. Those that's a right. hard combination to hit. Mm-hmm. And it was like kind of like a 60-40 thing. Like 40% of the people thought it was a pitch coming off the hip, tunneling, right? And everything right. looking the same. And thought it was the pitches moving in different directions Hmm. and so yeah I just think people just use these like buzzwords and they (laughs) don't know what it means (laughs) but it's like pitching injectors using the word tunneling and it's not correct and so it's just these like buzzword stuff kind of interesting
0: (sighs) I think your definition of tunneling makes a ton more sense like being able to deceivingly like have a pitch go, and then like make like the dip or the big move, the big drop or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Honestly, I hadn't even really heard that term much. So I mean, on obviously pitch, you know, on the pitcher's side pitching. of the world. <laughs> yeah. Again, not there. Uh, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do. I do want to ask this question because in the pro league. Your, your catchers are probably calling, calling everything, right? Like you didn't have like a mm-hmm. pitching coach call. Is that how it is right now in Japan too?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, we don't have a pitching at all.
0: Yeah. So your catcher is calling everything and your catcher is trying to understand um, where you are. How important is just the conversation with whoever's calling the pitches? So just like with your catcher, probably now you're probably saying, okay, this pitch right now it's money. Like, let's work with that. What kind of conversations do you have with your catcher that people can learn from that just at least kind of help the, the relationship with your catcher for you to, um, be
1: effective? Yeah. Well, talk constantly. The best example I can use of this is Monica Abbott has been throwing to this catcher for, and obviously she's been in this game a long time. She calls so many timeouts and it is so annoying when we're playing them but like mm-hmm. it's what she needs to do it's what she needs to communicate to her catcher to make sure that they're on the same page and make sure mm-hmm. she knows what they want and they've been working together for years like yeah. in and out of these daily conversations like this and they're still talking through stuff so it's it's kind of one never assuming you and your catcher are on the same page making sure that you guys or it's verbalized that you're on the same page. But yeah, I mean, like, during the game, a lot of times we'll talk if something gets hit, she'll kind of come in and we'll talk about, like, you know, like, what we probably should have thrown instead. Or if it was the right pitch call, it was just in the bad location. Or, you know, if something's just not working. I've done, with like, mid-game bullpens, just going and throwing two or three of something and being like, okay, it is working. It's just it's in my head type of thing, or it's right. in my attack plan or, um, you know, just something else. It's not mechanics, it's something else and working from there. But, um, yeah. And just and with with something's not working, trying to talk about throwing something else or if, um, you know, if some, if they're yelling out locations, uh, a lot of times she'll be like, okay, I'm just going to sit in the center. Like, and catch stuff on the side or move last second and like making Mm -hmm. sure that's a conversation. So all of a sudden, like, if she just doesn't move and I'm like, uh, am I throwing the wrong pitch? Like (laughs) that's happened. (laughs) But, um, Mm -hmm. it's just, it is really just talking and making sure that, you know, through the game, if something's getting hit that we're on the same page about why it was getting hit and maybe, you know, if it was a pitch call option, Talking about what we should have thrown instead, or you know, maybe out of order, like if we, you know, threw you know a curve, then a drop, then a screw, like maybe talking about taking that curveball out of there, just doing drop screw or something yeah. along those lines. If we were just throwing too many pitches, or we kind of like use that kill pitch too fast, and like had to kind of scramble after that. Um, mm-hmm but I mean, there's so many conversations. It's kind of hard to narrow down what what we really talk about in Japanese English. That's gotta be a challenge.
0: Um, I'm sure it's gotten better though, the longer you've been there, but I know I think just even like that few minutes that you just spent talking about just different scenarios and what you're talking about. I think it's very clear why pitching can be addictive, like, because you're constantly trying to learn how to win you're constantly trying to learn how to defeat the the hitter um and you're still probably learning you're still making the oh, like I think that's that's like that's the beauty of it is like probably when you first start out it can get pitching can be overwhelming um oh,
1: but oh still is. it still is overwhelming
0: yeah yeah and so like many, so many moving parts totally But as you get more experience, as you work through hitters, as you consistently learn how to make, you know, let's say a girl gets a hit off of you the first at bat, like find a way to make her, you know, make not as good contact or just, you know, strike her out, which I don't know if you think about striking people out or just trying to expose people. But I think there's just a beauty in just trying to learn how to keep growing from the mistake pitch or from the, the great pitch that, you know, struck the girl out. Like there's just so much you can learn by simply just being aware of what's happening and having consistent conversation.
1: Yeah. And another great asset to use too. And I, it pains me how little pitchers use their own teammates, their own teammates who can stand in, or if you're in a scrimmage, there's so many times where like the pitchers are kind of in their own worlds and then the batters are kind of in theirs. And I Mm -hmm. very rarely have seen pitchers kind of ask if someone, you know, if one of my teammates hits a home run off of me, I'm asking what, what they saw, if they were guessing that spot or if they were just on time with it, or if they saw something that I was doing or if they, you know, if they saw something. In the movement in the in the fielders like I want to understand why that they were on time if I thought it was a good pitch if I knew it was down the middle I'm not gonna ask what they, yeah
0: <laughs> that's huge I don't even think I really had situation like obviously I hit off of some pitchers in college but never was I really
1: asked Yeah. They're just in their own worlds. And I mean, I, I didn't do it in college. Absolutely not. But every once in a while on pride, I would talk to people like Kelly Crutchman, um, you know, just asking like, Hey, like, what did you see? And I mean, half the time the answers were like, I was just swinging. Like it's not, it's not always going to be a gem of an answer or it's going to be like, uh, dude, that was right down the middle. Like it's never, it's not always going to be what you want to hear, but I think Mm -hmm. like, it's just such an untapped resource and it kind of drives me crazy that coaches don't encourage that kind of crossover. I think it really is just like, okay, pitchers go to your building hitters. You're in here. Like it's just already kind of separated that we're just never kind of brought together and like asked opinions of each other. Cause I remember how many times, I was on pride and I'm like, dude, you're swinging. Like you gotta like, and it, cause it's a different, it's, it's different wording coming from a pitcher. And like when I was coaching in college, that's what the girls always said. Like, it just sounds different. And like, it's that sometimes it's that small difference that will actually make it click because it's not hitting language. It's like, like, Oh, I can see like your whole chest before you even start swinging. Like, That's going to be not something that the hitting coach is going to ever say, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be something about their hands or something about bat lag or something, you know, something like opening up too soon, but it's just that sometimes it's that small phrase from a pitcher that might, might (laughs) trigger something or like clue something in and just make Mm -hmm. someone think a little bit differently about it.
0: Yeah. And obviously that comes with like experience, like an eight year old pitcher is not able to see Like you're worried about your own crap at that point. Yeah. But the longer you play and here's the deal, if you're doing it with teammates and you're an experienced player and like you're, you're in it to win it, obviously, then why not give the feedback to your hitter? And if anything, if that, you know, teammate doesn't like feedback from you, then tell the coach. Like, Hey, I don't know. I don't know if this is a thing, but this is what I see. And like just communication, I guess, is always the key
1: sounds yeah. like yeah it's just Amazing. such an untapped resource
0: yeah it's just more data like yeah. who who doesn't want more data well some people play with like some people data. Really don't want the data. yeah you're right you're right I was kind of the hitter that like I didn't want to know anything I just yeah. I mean obviously I want to know what this pitcher is throwing and what she's good at um but I don't know that's the game that I like to play but if if you're one that thrives off of data or you're one that you know is a competitor you probably want to know this information oh this is so good um okay so I've already taken up so much of your time it's like almost midnight where you live but I'm so grateful I'm so grateful that you can come here and talk about things that we haven't yet talked about um yeah the analogies you give are so great those people that are like oh my god this girl like knows what she's talking about I want to follow her uh where can people find you most often
1: um for softball stuff on twitter um and it's, my name, Jordan Taylor, but the J and the T are sevens. It's really hard to, like, verbalize what my Twitter thing <laughs> is. I'm like, seven, Orton, seven, Ailer? <laughs> like, uh, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> good yeah, luck like finding that. No, I'll, that. Put it in. I'll put it in <laughs> the show notes. And if you want to go look at some of the Instagram, at least, those balcony series that we were talking yeah. about I'll definitely yeah. pop that in the show notes too for people to yeah. to check out but um Same. I want to finish yeah. off with a fun little five to thrive rapid fire you in yes look at you sitting okay. in your seat different like getting prepared <laughs> <laughs> I love this these aren't hard questions I, okay. I hope they're not who was a pitcher that you looked up to
1: growing up Ew, uh, growing up I mean, growing up, it was the, the kind of the 2008, the 2004, 2008 team, um, you know, and just, those are like the most all-star pitchers you can get. So, you know, the Jenny Finch, Kat, um, Monica was in that 2008 group. So Lisa Fernandez. Yeah, I didn't, I don't think I had a favorite, but um, yeah, I, I was watching all sorts of pitchers growing up.
0: Yeah, this is like a side question. I'm just curious. What were you watching? Like, were you watching their routines? Like, I'm just always, I always, I'm a big proponent of people watching the best do what they do to help you mm-hmm. learn what you want to do one day. But what are things that you saw from them that inspired you?
1: I was for sure demeanor and watching kind of how they carried themselves mm-hmm. on and off the fields, um, interactions with coaches, with other players, with catchers, um, But I mean, I couldn't tell you still probably to this day, besides, I mean, Kat's known for her drop ball, obviously, and rise ball, but like, I don't think I really paid attention to their actual pitching. It was just more of like, just their fire and how aggressive they were, and just their confidence, really.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that answer. Um, (laughs) What's some advice that you'd give your younger self learning, suffering through the beginning stages
1: of pitching? (laughs) key suffering um (laughs) advice that I would give oh wow these are heavy questions what are you talking about they're easy I I wish I had more confidence earlier for sure I wish I had like the not confidence so much as the kind of will to like soak it all in and Mm -hmm. kind of learn from my environment I think I was so self-conscious when I was younger and so shy that I kind of just, you know, I was like, I was on the team, but I wasn't really on the team. Like I, you know, I just, I did my thing and I, you know, said hi at practice, but I just didn't really talk or like, didn't (laughs) like interact too much. So yeah, I just wish I had a little bit more kind of self-awareness, self like not, not so shy, probably just a little bit. More I like tough.
0: that. I like that answer. Pause one second.
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, I think there's a dog. <laughs> yeah, He's being, he's being fun. Um, what was the greatest lesson you think your parents taught you?
1: Ooh, um, not to take anything for granted. Um, to kind of um know what opportunities were coming to me and why they were coming and to take full advantage of them um and kind of just make sure that any anything that I was given that I really saw it for what it was and I was fully accepting of it
0: Gift cool parents I'm excited yeah. to meet your mom in Ann Arbor watching with this spring. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> You'll hear what awesome. you see her. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait.
0: Um, before I ask this final question, I just want to thank you. Uh, this has been a blast. I don't know why we haven't communicated in person sooner, but you just have such a mature knowledge of the game that I'm just so happy that you could come on and share your knowledge with us.
1: No, thanks for having me. I mean, I've been around long enough. I'd hope I'd have been mature. <laughs> True knowledge <laughs> yeah. Yes. You you have you have done more
0: than than most in this game. So it's been pretty fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah. Awesome. Uh well, final question that I have for you. What's your favorite thing about being a pitcher?
1: Ooh, uh not to sound like the most pitcher of pitchers, but the control. <laughs> <laughs> the control of it. I love having kind of the pulse of the game. Um, And being able to get out of situations, sometimes getting into them, but getting out of situations and being able to kind of pick up the team and have the team pick me up, vice versa. And um, yeah, it's definitely control. (laughs) I love
0: that answer. That's why you're still playing. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on.
1: And it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is cool.
0: Isn't it fun to know how an elite pitcher thinks? I mean, whether you're a pitcher or not, this conversation is so crucial just to know and understand what are pitchers thinking. You know, from a hitter's perspective, I love knowing what pitches she's going to follow up with when I pull it or when I'm super late. Like she is so smart and she literally, I love how she said, At the beginning, that her favorite thing is making hitters look silly and how she tricks their brains. Like, that is incredible to know, you know, from a hitter's perspective. And if you're a pitcher, I know you learned a ton. If you're a hitter, I know you learned a ton. And if you're a coach, I know you learned so much about what pitches to call in certain situations, how important it is for your catcher and your pitcher to be on the same wavelength, for you to be on the same wavelength as your pitcher. I hope you feel that. Your relationship with your players has gotten stronger from this conversation. And I hope that you share this with somebody in the coaching world or just a parent that you know, share it with them if you learned a lot, because I know this conversation can change the lives of many. Thank you so, so much. Please like, share, subscribe to the podcast so you're the first to know when the next episode drops next week. I'm excited to give you my own personal episode next week and I know you're going to love it. All right, y'all, happy holidays and I will see you next week. Don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, keep working your butt off towards your goals and I will see you soon. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know of something that we just recently announced that we are so excited about at ABT and our virtual hitting Academy is getting a facelift in 2022. So, so excited for this. We are adding monthly guest speakers that are going to come in and coach you. You're going to have exclusive access to one-on-one coaching with me where we can talk about hitting our mental game, a hundred plus hours of videos of hitting drills, mental skills coaching, workouts, and more. Free hitting journal, some gear, and so 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 much more. That is just scratching the surface with this virtual hitting academy. We are so excited! Enrollment begins January first, but if you join the waitlist now, you will get early access and freebies by joining the waitlist. So joining the waitlist is free. So just head over to www.ashleybtraining.com to get access to all the freebies, all of the things that we're giving you inside the ABT waitlist. We are so, so, so excited to launch this on January 1st. And if you're just interested at all, you're going to want to join that waitlist. So head to www.ashleybtraining.com. You will be shown where you can sign up for the waitlist and get ready because things are about to get exciting. All right, let's head to this episode. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley V Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes, and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players. Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep and I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here and I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So that your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Egel, and I am about to bring you an episode where I probably learned more in this episode than most conversations, and it's with All-American and All-NPF Pitcher from san clarita california jordan taylor i am a huge fan of jordan i actually got to compete against her one time in college i was a freshman and she was a senior along with amanda chittister and you know amanda chittister is now on team usa so they were pretty stacked team Um, but I have admired her ever since I struck out against her my freshman year and she is actually still playing in Japan. And what's really cool is we just had Natasha on and she talked about the Japan experience. We also talk about that a little bit here with Jordan. Um, But I'm really, really excited, and we talked for so long, and we had so many good gems out of this episode that I'm actually making it a two-parter. So in part one, we talk about her experience playing with Coach Hutch, who is one of the most well-known coaches in the game of softball. She is running a very tight ship at Michigan, and she is doing an incredible job there. We also talk about the similarities between pitching and hitting, which I learned so much about and loved. She also gives tips on how to throw the curve, the changeup, and the screwball, and I think she talks a little bit, too, about the rise ball um, and her perspective as a pitcher on how she is able to create that tight spin and make that ball move a ton. Now, she also talks about the one pitch that you have to master before moving on to those movement pitches, and that was really insightful for me as well. And we also talk about how she loves to trick the brain of hitters and how she is able to To do that, Jordan is one of the most confident pitchers I have ever met, and you're gonna learn a ton from this episode. Here's a little bit, actually a lot, about Jordan before we dive into this episode. She played at Michigan from 2008 to 2011. That last year was the year I got to play against her. She's a four time Big Ten regular season champion. That team, Her class won four Big Ten championships from the regular season. Unreal. You don't see that often. Three-time All-Conference first team, Big Ten freshman, and pitcher of the year while at Michigan, and she was a three-time NFCA All-American. She was, after she played at Michigan, drafted 11th for the NPF, and there she was a three-time All-NPF pitcher, two-time Cowles Cup champ, which is their version of a World Series, And after she played there, she coached at Boston University and Loyola. And while she was at Loyola, she got an invitation to continue her playing career to play in Japan. And she has been there ever since. So from about 2017 to now, she is playing in Japan. And you get to learn on this episode how she became so good, how she still remains to be good, how she takes care of herself as a pitcher. Let's dive into this episode with Jordan Taylor. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm Ashley Burkhart, turned Agel recently. I need to stop saying Burkhart. It's not my name anymore. Uh, Jordan Taylor is in the house. Jordan, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are about to have a really fun-loving conversation. We just talked for a half hour just about anything and everything (laughs) from wine to Japan and earthquakes, but I'm already (laughs) stoked. This (laughs) conversation is going to be a fun one. Um, So fun fact, baby sis is now playing at Michigan. You played at Michigan. What does she have to look forward to? I just, I'm just, I just want to hear from your perspective for her first and last season.
1: She's probably probably deep in the uh football season and they're actually doing well. So that's yeah. like a plus plus. I, they didn't didn't have quite the great seasons when I was there. Um uh, but Ann Arbor is just such a great like spring in Ann Arbor and like home games are like there really isn't anything that beats it. It's such a great time.
0: Yeah. And fall in Michigan is incredible, like just the leaves changing. There's actually hills there,
1: unlike yeah. Indiana. And Honeycrisp season, Honeycrisp apples. If you haven't had a Michigan Honeycrisp apple, have not lived. It's so good. I, miss I that need to, I summer. need to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it,
0: sorry, you don't. You don't have those right now. But when you come back from Japan, you can finally get some with your mom. Yes. Great. You have good cherries in Michigan apparently too. Yeah, there's something about cherries.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know where yeah. they're from, but I know they're good.
0: Somewhere in Michigan. I know. My grandma's always like, can you go up there and just get some so I can make a pie? I'm like, anything for you to make a pie, grandma. I will go get
1: you, Jerry. Rewards
0: check. I love it. I love it. Well, before we start again talking about things not softball related, um, I'd love for the audience to get to know you and a bit of your story. So if you can take us through your pitching journey from when you started, what your parents were like influencing you to where you are now pitching in Japan.
1: Well, I didn't start pitching until I was, like, 12, which, I mean, is still kind of early, but um, <laughs> my dad had a team at the local um, kind of Pony League, which is probably, like, they should do research on this Pony League. It's called um, the Hart League, William S. Hart. The amount of people that came out of this league that played division, top Division one softball, and, like, there's a couple MLB guys, too, actually. It's just, Shut like, up insane like half of Tennessee's lineup that's been through there yeah just there's so many people it's insane but um yeah he had a team and I remember coming to him and saying okay I want to pitch and my mom was like no that's that's a lot that's a lot of pressure (laughs) a lot of whatever and so she immediately set rules and was like you have to practice every day when we say you have to go to lessons you have to go to lessons so I'm like okay And so I was horrible. I was was horrible. I probably still hold a record for pitching the ball over the backstop. I had no idea where the ball was going, but I always threw really hard. But yeah, I did really, I, I was in that league and I was always like in the like bottom division. I had like two leagues, like the competitive league and the coaching league. I was in that coaching league until I was 14. Like I was never in the good league ever. And then my mom kind of saw that I wasn't going to really get anywhere and said, okay, we're making the journey to Orange County, which is insane to think about leaving somewhere to go to Orange County because it's like, yeah, but I mean, she thought it was really good and kind of just needed to get out of the like bubble, I guess. And so, yeah, I started playing for Cal Cruisers and then um, from there I went fra- to Uh, Gordon's Panthers which isn't an organization anymore but um, I was from the 16s Panthers I went to the 18s Panthers and then yeah I actually ended up my last year went back to Santa Clarita Valley and the choppers and um, kind of went from there which now they're like all over the place but they used to just be the Santa Clarita Valley but yeah I was I was all over the place, so many teams, <laughs> so many teams, um, <laughs> a lot of coaches and I really had, I went, I had a local coach and then we went to a just softball camp with, um, Deb Hartwig and she's, yeah. yeah, she still sees me and she's like, I still remember when you were this big, <laughs> like <Of laughs> I was course. always this big, but <laughs> we'll, we'll go from there. She coached but, yeah, my teammate, so-
0: Alex, that's how I know her. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I saw her at Alex's wedding, which is like right after we graduated. That's how I met Deb. But that, that's so irrelevant. It's crazy. So you can keep going uh, though.
1: That <laughs> like, she's seriously the greatest. Um, and so, yeah, I went from Susie. And then after I was on the Panthers, my coach, Richard MacArthur, who ended up being my pitching coach, but he had me go to Ernie Parker, who's the like late and great, like, any 80s, 90s pitching video you would have had, it would have been Ernie Parker. Like, he was, he was the Mike Greya version, basically, yep. all these videos. And he, yeah, he was a stickler, but he really did kind of transform me into kind of the pitcher I am today. And he actually came to Michigan um, and helped me one or two times when I was just I didn't know what my mechanics were doing in the middle of, in the middle of my career, but yeah, no, he was, he was honestly the best. So, um, but yeah, I think that was it. That's a lot. It's a lot of softball. (laughs) Well, it took you
0: to Michigan and then you got drafted to play for the pride originally out of Michigan.
1: Yes. So I actually said, I didn't want to play on the pride, um, turned it down Uh, but they drafted me anyways and had me kind of fly out after and showed me around and said, you only need to be here for a month. And so I think I played two series two like normal regular season series, and then it was straight into championships. So I, my eyes were like this big the entire time. (laughs) I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but yeah.
0: That's cool, so you ended up playing for them, and then you played for the Australian national team,
1: right? was that yeah, after was, or on, was that I was on pride for six seasons and got traded to Australia, which was like beyond not devastated, but i was I was not a happy camper during that time, but it was honestly the best experience, one of the best summers. And then from there, obviously I got to know um Australia, all the girls on Australia. I've gotten to go out there a couple times and play in their national tournament. And um oh, yeah, it's kind of one of those everything happens for a reason type of thing, no matter how angry I was at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just it's obviously different going from Pride to a bunch of Aussies. Um <laughs> the volume got a lot louder, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just great to like, I'm a really big, like learner and like, want to like, kind of learn how people do things and they just do everything so differently, pitching, hitting style of play. So, I mean, I was a kid in the candy store once I got over mm-hmm. <laughs> being butthurt, but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, it was great. Yeah.
0: I do remember Chelsea uh, who plays for Australia. She was my teammate. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea Forks. Forks. She was like, her swing was so unconventional, but she was always clutch. You know, like it was like one of those things where I guess I was kind of introduced to something different culture wise. And I was telling you earlier, like I also had Japanese teammates and talk about like complete 180 when it comes to culture and how they treat the game. Yeah. Not like the, they, the way they treat it, but they literally, you bow to the field. Right, yeah. like before you play, you bow to the field. Oh, yeah. I just think, like when it comes to respect, yeah, yeah, it's just it's so beautiful. Um, so, from the Aussie team, what led you to Japan and starting to play over there?
1: Well, I was already here actually when I played. So I oh, got it. was. It was two thousand sixteen, my first year here. I was coaching at Loyola Chicago, and. God bless my boss, because this happened two years in a row. It was first Brittany Cervantes left a week before season. And then the next year, I think a year to the day, left a week before season, just in opportunities to go play. And at the time, I didn't think kind of coaching was going to be my career path. And I didn't want to turn down the opportunity to come play over here. I'm like, obviously I'm on year five from that happening. So, um, yeah, I was, I was in the middle. I think it was my second season that I, yeah, my second season that the whole Aussie trade happens.
0: Got it. I just interviewed Natasha about the culture of Japan and like how different it is. Like you practice eight hours a day. It's just, it's so different, but what have you learned from that culture that, Or just like the way they they play the sport. I mean, obviously you're there for five years. Things are probably fun and you're enjoying it. And you're probably learning more than you ever have. But can you like just sum up that experience of just Japanese playing and what it's been like?
1: Well, they're definitely um, quantity over quality, like in their practice. But I mean, you will never meet someone more dedicated than a Japanese softball player. They are just so locked in. And it's just, I mean, every day, they really don't have, they have one day off a week type of thing. They have, they'll break after our first half and they break for um, like new year's new year's is kind of their version of Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, that's it. Like they are probably 330 days out of the year playing softball and it's all day. And, um, I mean, some of the teams are different. So how it works here is it's companies sponsor teams basically. So I work for a hospital, um, Mm -hmm. lucky in my, in my old age and creaking bones, (laughs) (laughs) the MRIs, but, um, yeah, so they actually have to go into the office some of the days. So in summer, mostly they go in, um, and work in the office so there's a couple like they work in like the babies ward the NICU unit (laughs) like they hold babies (laughs) like you know we just sign up for that but uh (laughs) like some are like hospital greeters and then some like um are like assistants they're just they're so dedicated and they're so passionate like there's so many times where we will win a game and half the team will be in tears just because they're so like excited that like kind of everything came to a head. But yeah, I've learned in just dedication and kind of like honoring what like what an opportunity this is and trying not to take for granted that I get to play softball for a living Kind of sounds silly to say that you're like taking advantage of it or taking it for granted. But I mean, we do, we get paid so much money to be over here in a completely different culture, not understanding what anybody's saying 90% of the time, even with translators and just getting to play softball for a living, like (laughs) an opportunity that, you know, I really hope and pray
0: that we can have in the U S one day, but I mean, I don't think you're, I, you are taking advantage of, you know, the opportunity, but then again, like who wouldn't, if you had, if you had that. So there was something that you said before about how you played on so many different teams prior to college. And I know there's a lot of listeners that, you know, maybe they're jumping around, maybe they're like literally been on a team too long, but like, what was the reason why you jumped to a lot of different teams, played on a lot of different teams? Was it because the talent was better was it because you knew you'd grow there. Do you do you know why your parents helped you make those decisions to jump around? Well,
1: moving out to Orange County was the decision to get out of the bubble and looking for other opportunities. But beyond six teams, I had pretty bad luck. If we're gonna be honest, so I had I was on three different gold teams, and my first year was the Panthers, and it folded. They mm. just playing and then my second year I was on one of the batbusters and they were no longer a team for undisclosed reasons <laughs> and then my final year was on with choppers so i feel like uh, at one point i was just kind of like oh my gosh i'm be known as like the girl that like can't stay on a team and blah 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 but like honestly And I've met a lot of too with pitching coaches and people want to stay loyal to the pitching coach and they like, want to see it through. And my mom like saw a lot of, with my first local pitching coach. And then we went to a just softball camp with Deb and Susie. And she was like, okay, this makes more sense. She was like, I see her already improving in just this one hour session. She was like, Mm -hmm. I think we need to make that step. And then she saw me kind of hit a plateau with that, um, with that pitching coach. And so she was talking with Richard McArthur, my um, 16 under coach, and, sh- and he recommended going to Ernie Parker, which is like turning down Elvis at that point. Like, you hey, <laughs> yes to Ernie Parker type of thing. But it was kind of within one week, she already saw an appro- like even more improvement. So I see so many kids with like the same instructors and they're just not making any progress and they're kind of just stuck in this like little like sand pit. Mm-hmm. And so my mom really did see the kind of foresight to be like, okay, this doesn't really make sense. Like, I think we need to change this person. So yeah. Yeah. She kind of made that move for
0: me. <laughs> yeah. So you ended up having to be really resilient when it came down to like going to tryouts all the time, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did, I did try out for all those teams. My best tryout story though, still is, um, Gary Hanning and the 18, my first ever gold tryout. And he was, had this big, long spiel about how he wanted athletic pitchers. <laughs> so, so we went to go do the running and I pulled my hamstring. <laughs> The first, hate the, team. The, first, the first minute i pulled my hamstring i was like yeah this is probably not for me oh shoot <laughs> good i mean it all worked out obviously but i still That's remember funny. i was like okay i'm gonna be athletic i'm gonna be i'm gonna run really fast i'm the slowest runner known to mankind like i don't know what i was thinking but yeah you tried I'm really needed, hard you gave it all I'm you got the <laughs> oh my gosh
0: Hey there, I'm popping in real quick to talk about something I haven't talked about in a while. And that is the goal smasher course that I built in the middle of 2020 when athletes were struggling with their confidence strictly because it was really, really hard and we were stuck inside, couldn't see our friends, couldn't practice. We were always on our phones. And I noticed athletes were really, really struggling with community and confidence. And so I built this course. It is literally 14 strategies that when you do them, you are proven to build your confidence as soon as you do it. Some of it is hard work and that's the whole point. It's easy things, easy amount of time to just grab this course and whip it out for the day, but some of it's some of that work that when you finish it, you feel fulfilled. You feel like you have a purpose again. And that is something that I've noticed athletes need. So if you're interested in investing in the $7 goal smasher course, I know it's only seven bucks for a reason because every athlete that does it will find confidence if they do the work. So you can head to www.ashleybetraining.com, click on the train with me tab, and you can find the course there and sign your daughter up. If it's something you think she could benefit from, I will also put a link in the show notes for you as well. All right, let's head back to this episode with Jordan Taylor. So what would you say to the, to the athlete who's like super scared to go to tryouts? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, this is nerve wracking. Obviously you went all out and tore your hamstring in that story, but what advice would you give to that player? Who's a little nervous for a tryout?
1: That even Olympians got nervous going to their tryout. Like you're gonna get nervous. You use that energy for good. You use those nerves. I think it's when the when the nerves get the best of us is when you start doubting yourself because of those nerves. Mm-hmm. Like if you did the work beforehand, that should be good enough. If you you should be confident in the work. Now if you didn't practice for two weeks before those tryouts, like you probably Have should you be nervous. You probably should be nervous, but if it's nervous because you really want to do well, like it's just going back to your preparation and knowing, knowing that you did everything that you could, knowing you put in the work and then whatever happens happens after that. But yeah, you should listening to some of these Olympians talk about the tryouts, like, like half of them were puking in buckets before they had to go out, (laughs) like the best, the best get nervous. So. it is what it is. Yeah. You almost have to, like, find
0: something to hone into that you're, like, okay, this is what I'm good at. Just be good at this thing. Like, just use that as your driving force. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's such great advice. So, thank you for that. So, you've been starting to do these things called, like, Balcony Series on Instagram. Yes. Is, is this your balcony in Japan where you're doing
1: these from? No, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was doing the balcony series. My uh, apartment in Japan is approximately 150 square feet, <laughs> it is tiny. It is a dorm room. And during quarantine, it's like uh, if you go outside and get caught, you will be kicked out of the country forever. Oh my um, gosh. So I was not taking that chance. So my outside was, my breath of fresh air was on my balcony. But yeah, they all all the Japan houses pretty much have balconies, but that's where they hang out their laundry because they don't really have dryers here. Fun little fact. But um, yeah, that's where I would go outside and do my abs and then (laughs) random arm circles to try to stay in somewhat of shape. Um, Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And on Instagram, you did this fun little thing where you started talking about different pitches and... You really got into one, obviously your curveball, because it's your favorite pitch and how to throw it. For anybody that's just like, what the heck are you talking about? On her Instagram page, she did a, like a few IGTVs, I think, just describing how to throw yeah. specific pitches. One um, minute videos. <laughs> one minute videos. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like before reels were a thing, maybe. I don't know. But I just, I found them super insightful. Like for anybody that's just being introduced to like, pitches and like how to throw them I thought it was it was awesome but I know you also are huge on making sure you don't have 10 pitches you yeah. I think I'm sort of quoting you that you're like any girl that says she has 10 pitches she probably can't locate them oh <laughs> like, yeah yeah so how do you feel about uh like when should you start learning pitches um other than like a fastball and a change up and then maybe we can dive into some of those pitches that you had talked about too
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think the problem lies in where you have a 12 year old throwing six pitches, and they don't have their fastball mastered yet. If you don't have your fastball perfected, like everything else builds off of your fastball. So if you still can't locate your fastball, you'll be damned if you can locate a curveball, if it's even a curveball, probably not going to be one. But um, I know when I was learning pitches, I was fastball changeup for a really long time. I didn't learn my curveball until a year into it, maybe. And then I remember learning curve rise, like right one after another. And then when I went to 14s, I remember my head coach being like, Well, you have to have a drop ball and screwball too. And I'm like, Why? Like, looking back on it, like, why do I need that? So I just feel like a lot of times it's coaches that don't really know what they're talking about. Like said, like oh, you need, you need all this. Like try to hold on to it. Like it just doesn't quite work. So, it when in doubt, I feel like listen to your pitching coach um, and not quite the head coach. Um, but yeah, it's just I think girls try to learn so much so fast without even getting the fundamentals down and if if your pitch is doing the same thing as the other one like just ditch one of them (laughs) right I still remember one of the girls coming to camp at Michigan and I swear she was talking for five minutes when I asked her how many pitches she had like she just kept listing them and I was like I just remember being like okay (laughs) let's see your fastball and it was like. (laughs) everything did exactly her fastball and her changeup are the only difference of all of her other pitches. Wow. So, um, it's just getting, it's just learning the fundamentals and making sure that your mechanics are, you actually have a solid base before you're starting all, because if you have issues in your fastball, everything else is going to have issues too. So, um, right. it's just really getting the fundamentals down.
0: Yeah. So your advice, if somebody, let's say, has a curveball and it's not really flowing, like go back to the fastball. Let's see how that looks, and then kind of jump back into not relearning the curve, but um, yeah, well,
1: everything else like, kind of identifying, place. Yeah, identifying a lot of times with curveball issues because curveball, she's a fickle. She's a fickle pitch. That one, <laughs> everything has to be on time. Your hand has to be. on on time your hips have to be on time and it has to be like a one-two type of thing and so many pitchers get the hand part of it but not the hips part of it or vice versa and so it just doesn't quite work like that's always the pitch that I I know if I'm on time, if my curveball's working. If my curveball's all over the place, I like I rewind and go back and just throw a couple fastballs and then go back to my curveball and see if it's working. And that's always when I'm coming back, because I every time I kind of leave Japan and come back, like I take a, a solid month off. Otherwise my shoulder would have ran away from now <laughs> by now. It would have <laughs> been a soul, soul entity. But um Every time I come back and throw bullpens, cool I always end with the curveball because I'm like, yep, we're we're not there yet. So mm-hmm. um, it's just learning that timing and everything of getting everything to work that you have to, if it's not working in your fastball, it can't work in your curveball.
0: Right, right. Now, I do love how you describe how the curveball works. So if there's anybody out there that's like, oh, yeah, I really <laughs> want a curveball one day. Could you do like a one minute, you know, Instagram real version of like, obviously people can't see it, which is hard.
1: I know. I know. That's my well, favorite thing I've ever drawn in my entire life is the revolving door <laughs> I was laughing to myself. Albeit I, I was slightly delusional it. in quarantine, but I was laughing for like 10 minutes before I posted. That. Yeah.
0: As long as Jordan doesn't <laughs> delete it off her Instagram, you can find it there.
1: Um, but how would you describe how the curveball works with just your words? So, I always try to like break it down like as if I'm talking to a little kid. So, I with curveball, first of all, you have to get on the inside of the ball. With any pitch, you have to think about where you're wanting to push, I wish I had a softball. Where you're wanting the pressure to go, and that's where your hand needs to be. And so for the curveball, you have to have some sort of pressure pushing through the center and the outside of that ball. And that's what's going to make that spin. So you're having to push through this part in order to make it spin. So you have to make sure your hand's there in the first place. And then I talk about it like a revolving door, like those little glass doors Mm -hmm. through. Oh, you should have seen me trying to translate this to Japanese because it was... (laughs) ah. It took 30 minutes, not this one minute breakdown. If you think of your hand like a person and each leg is like a door, so door, door, and you're trying to get that person on the inside of the door. So you're Mm -hmm. wanting wanting to make sure that hand comes on the inside of your hip before that door closes. Otherwise, if they're coming at the same time, that ball is going to go right down Broadway, right down the middle, and it is going to get crushed right behind you.
0: (laughs) So graphic. (laughs) feel like I'm oh, watching graphic. a horror
1: film. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> but basically, like keeping it inside, like close to your body before you start that rotation. Yeah. With your, okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Make sure you get your hand on the inside of your hip before you're closing. Because the, yeah. the, the harder you're slamming your hips closed, that's what's going to make the ball really turn a corner. It's that like close, that aggressive closing of your hips. Mm-hmm. But if it's coming at the same time, it's just not going to go where you want it to. Yeah. <laughs> at all. I loved how you described the
0: pressure, um, of the ball, like on your hand, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of pitchers that are like trying to, let's say go for like a rise ball, even they're literally only holding. And this is actually, I'm thinking of myself and trying to learn mean, a rise ball. Yeah. Right. Like I'm only using like the very bottom half of the ball. I'm not using the middle to provide pressure before the spin happens. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. learning so much. This is why I quit pitching. I was like, I can't figure a rise <laughs> ball out. I'm done.
1: Um, The only reason I figured that out too, though, is that one of the pitchers at Loyola Chicago had an off-speed rise ball. And when I asked her how she threw it, it was like a magical pitch. I asked her how she threw it and she like really didn't know. And so we like took it slow-mo and tried to figure it out. And that's kind of where I got the whole pressure thing was because she was spinning it. If this is the ball, she was spinning it only in the front half of that ball. Mm. So she's coming through, she was spinning it and had like absolutely nothing behind the ball. And so she's only spinning it on the upside and that's what made it so much slower. Cause it was that slow spin. Yeah. Instead of having something pushing through that ball and that's what keeps the speed. So that was kind of like where I got the whole pressure thing from. Wow. It was this magical off-speed rise ball. <laughs> Isn't it fun? How, like when you learn these
0: things and it's like, after you've played in college and you're like, crap like it would have been nice to kind of know that concept I know. always a little sooner so many
1: things learned so many so this many is why times. you've
0: peaked after college and you're
1: still playing
0: <laughs> yeah because you're still keep learning
1: keep, keep on playing I'm <laughs> playing
0: I love it <laughs> uh, can you describe a change-up
1: <laughs> I'm putting you on so, the spot right now I hope I, <laughs> so my change up's not a true change-up it's an off-speed and the same thing that i just talked about you have to have nothing behind that ball so if you have any sort of pressure moving through that ball on the back side of that ball then it's going to go too fast so anything mm-hmm. so when we talk about like flip changeups we're t- talking about the back of our hand and pulling through here so you even mm-hmm. see that there's nothing behind that the only right. thing moving forward is the pull and so good change-ups are going to be that you don't have anything pushing through that ball. It's all kind of pull or on the side. So mine, it varies. (laughs) It does what it wants. It does whatever it wants to do. It does whatever it wants to. Um, Mine is kind of a culmination of several pitches, but mostly for the most part, I throw it kind of on the side. So it's more of a horseshoe. So when Mm -hmm. I come through, well. And I have a knuckle. So I have a knuckle that kind of sets it so I'm like locked into place on those seams. Mm-hmm. And any picture of me throwing a changeup, I have the like these like gnarly T Rex hands coming through. And that's because when I snap back the ball, it's peeling off. So anytime you want, like if you're taking a picture as a pitcher and you kind of at the end of your pitch have like, I call them pretty hands and ugly hands. If you have pretty hands, That means you just let go of the ball, so it's just going to be kind of a slow spin. Mm -hmm. You want that quick backspin, and that's what that like the ugly hands are going to provide because you're almost peeling it back, like you're peeling an orange almost. you're peeling it back, and that's what's going to make the ball spin super fast, and that's what's going to create those like drop off types. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, I love how you describe that. Letting
1: go of the ball. So it's just going to kind of be like a, it's going to be slow, but it's going to be. It's going to kind of stay in the same spot. Yeah. Ish.
0: And you want that ball to move. You described this so well. And for anybody that's just like, (laughs) man, I wish I could like watch her describe this. This is recorded and will be up on YouTube. (laughs) So if you're like dying to know this ugly hand, pretty hand thing, like. Ugly to YouTube to watch. <laughs> I have the pleasure of getting to watch this right the visual, now. Visual, um, visual, so much better.
1: <laughs> I was gonna
0: say the visual is great, and this is I. This is why I also like the fact that you've visualized these analogies on Instagram, and why I was so um, excited when I saw them. But last but not least, let's just talk about the screwball. You talk about like the external rotation, and you also talked about how like you didn't exactly have a great relationship with the screwball. But when it does work, what are we trying to make happen there?
1: So it's, it's a hard pitch because it's not a natural movement for us. So internal rotation is going to automatically be a little bit stronger just because it's a natural motion. Um, That external rotation, just puts a lot of pressure on our shoulder, especially our elbow. I don't know how many pitchers I've met over the years that have had Tommy John surgery, And it just blows my mind. And honestly, it might be from kids learning screwballs at the age of 10. Um, Mm. And it's just, uh, to me at this point, it's kind of irresponsible pitch coaching. Just because it's it's just so much pressure. And it's just not a natural motion. But it really, it's the least work, quote unquote work, um, out of a pitch, at least for me. Because it's such a small motion that you can do um, in that position. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's all your fingers having to kind of push through towards that inside corner. So it's, you already starting on the inside of the ball and all it is, is just kind of pushing it through towards that inside corner. Like opening so, a door almost. almost. Yeah. 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 Okay. So screwball and rise ball are actually pretty similar in finger movements. It's just one ends up towards pointing towards, um, the inside corner and one ends up pointing up towards your chest. So, Got it. Which setup, one's which for anybody listening? The one pointing up towards your chest would be the rise ball towards the inside would be, um, so you just don't quite finish the point for the screw ball and then you go yeah. all the way up and finish the point for your rise ball. So, but really for screw ball, it's where you step for me. So for me, I'm stepping towards the opposite end of that plate. Mm -hmm. And so for, if I want the ball to go inside to a righty, I'm stepping towards the outside corner and I have all of my energy moving towards that outside half. So outside to center part of the plate and you're just slamming through. And it really is just kind of a flick of the wrist to get it to go (laughs) inside, but it's just setting up your body. So you can have, you have the room to get on the inside of the ball. Yeah, and that's a one that's it's fickle because as soon as those hips come through, man, <laughs> yeah, I ball right down Broadway, you don't want that. It's so. like game over. You yeah. know, it's funny. I love hitting.
0: Obviously, that's my baby. I'm, this is probably why I ask so many questions to pitchers because it's something I don't really know a whole lot about. But when you were describing like opening up your hips, making sure there's room to work. I think of that as hitting very similar. Like if you're yeah. closed off like that inside pitch, there's no chance you can get your arms you know, inside the ball, which is kind of how you described it, but it is kind of a similar move. Like the way you're balanced upon, like when you're about to release, like you have to be within your legs to allow that space for you to kind of work and do your magic with your wrists. But, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but I just love how similar they are. Really
1: like chest down. If you pause a pitcher in the middle of their, in the middle of their motion until the end of their motion, if you pause chest down and Look at a hitter's swing. It's almost identical. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: almost identical. Yeah. If you don't pay attention to the arms and whatever we're doing with those things, (laughs) all the leg work. That's it. Whenever like I'm talking to it or working with like a hitting pitcher, like they always have the same issues pitching as they do hitting with their legs every single time. Mm -hmm. Every single time.
0: It's so interesting. It's so interesting. What baffles me though is sometimes when I work with a hitting pitcher. And she's like at the time better as a pitcher than she is a hitter. I kind of like, I always refer back to pitching. I'm like, okay, you see, you know how like good you are with your pitch in this spot. We're actually trying to get to that same spot um, in our swing. And like, as soon as she makes that adjustment, just mentally, she's just like, Oh, I can do that. yeah, yeah, you can. If you put them together,
1: it's where the confidence is. It's where you have to follow is where the confidence is with the kid.
0: Yeah! Wow, wow, wow. I love Jordan so much simply because she talks about pitching in such a real way. And you guys can see how confident she is as a pitcher. I loved how intricate she gets into tips on how to throw specific pitches, what you're supposed to think about. And I'm going to put her Instagram handle into the show notes so you can be able to dive in and see how she describes those things um, and how she teaches them as well love how she also talks about that that fastball is the most important pitch. If you cannot locate that fastball yet, then you should not be moving to other pitches. The other pitches all stem from that fastball other than the changeup. But I love how specific she gets there. Now, what we have to look forward to in the second episode, which you'll find next week, is a little bit more diving into that confidence aspect, how she's able to be confident with specific pitches, how she has to know herself in order to throw her best. She also teaches us how to make adjustments from hitter to hitter, what she learned from one of her favorite coaches, and she does talk a ton about the definition that she has for tunneling, which I did not know anything about until I learned this part. So as you can see, we have dove into a ton today and we have so much more to dive into next week. And I hope I see you same time, same place next week. Don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, keep smiling, and keep working your tail off for your dreams. I'll see you next week.